Mac Power Users, episode 177, Workflows with Gabe Weatherhead. Hey, everybody, it's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie Floyd. Hey, David Sparks. And with us today, we've got one of my uh, favorite people on the entire interweb, Gabe Weatherhead. Welcome to the show, Gabe. Hey, David. How are you? Thanks. You know, you've been with us two or three times in the past talking about various things, but I don't think we ever did a workflow show with you, and that needs to be fixed. So uh, so we've got you here. If you, if you don't know Gabe, he's over at the Mac Drifter website, which is just a fantastic source of, of content and information. Uh, what, how, would, how would you categorize this? I, I think there's a little bit of automation there. Uh, a little bit of geek culture, I think. You've got- I, I think I, w- I would classify it as a personality blog. I just kind of write about whatever I'm interested in at that moment. Well, I don't, you, I don't have a theme. You and I happen to share a lot of the same interests, so I, I get a lot of the things you put up there. And uh, you've also got your podcast uh, that has gone through a, a few iterations. Now it's called mm-hmm. Technical Difficulties, and it's a fantastic show. I, I really like Thanks. it. Yeah, I, I like I like doing it. I think it's turning out really nice. It was, um, it was hard to give up generational, but uh, it's fun to do something new. Yeah, and you are a trained scientist. You know, I don't know which which discipline were you trained in. Was it biology? Organic chemistry. Okay. Oh, okay. Yep. Ochem, the bane of my existence in college. You know, I've received that so many times. I, I can recall sitting in coffee shops reading like an organic chemistry book and somebody just feeling entitled to walk up and say, I hate that <laughs> and walk away. But I totally get it. Or Okim kills a lot of people when they're um, on a track to get into like med or into um, uh, med school or something else that requires them to take it. So I understand why people hate it so much. Yeah. Well, I made it through, but, but by the hair of my chinny chin chin, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's interesting though. I feel like, uh, your your attachment to the sciences like uh, physics or chemistry or biology, I think a lot of it has to do with your first exposure to it. And in high mm-hmm. school, I had really good biology teachers and re- a really, really good physics teacher. And as a result, in college, I felt this enthusiasm towards the subjects where I was just crushing it in those classes. But my chemistry, first experience with chemistry was really, really poor, and I, I never recovered from it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, some, it also takes things just kind of having this magical click in place for yeah. you, where it's suddenly all the rules that you were trying to memorize and all that stuff kind of falls away, and you just understand relationships in the, in the topic. And that, that happened with me with chemistry. I loved physics, but I, I, it just never clicked, and it was always an uphill battle. Yeah, see, I was just the opposite. Anyway, uh, but you also uh, are a geek, and your day job mm-hmm. right now is uh, you're a systems engineer. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so explain I- that a little bit. Oh, a systems engineer is somebody who does a lot of things, but they're not an expert at any one of them. That's how, that's oh, that, how I would that describe describes it. my life. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of I help design larger systems for scientists, like computer systems for scientists. I'm a project manager. I do a little bit of engineering. Um, I'm a domain expert for like how chemists use software and what kind of software they use. 
you know, that kind of stuff. So that's, that's kind of what a systems engineer is, at least, at least at my, my company or my specific job. Yeah. So you're, you're designing systems for people in the sciences for, for mm-hmm. chemists and biologists. And so it's, it's kind of funny. You're using the technical side that has, seems like it's always been an interest for you. And then you're also using uh, your sciences side. It, it must be a nice blending. Yeah, I, I I completely lucked out with this job. When I left chemistry, I was just like, what can I do other than chemistry that I will also like? And um, I was like, well, I like working with computers and software. And it so happened that our um, informatics group had a job opening. And I, I applied. It was an interdepartment transfer for me even. And uh, it's it's been great. Like, it's it's a good job that lets me exercise a little bit of everything. Well, that's fantastic, and and you're a Mac nerd on top of uh, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. when I when I can be, I work on Windows all day at work, but I, I I look forward to coming home to work on my Mac. So, how far back do your Mac roots go? Uh, let's see. My first Mac was a two CI with all a right. with a math coprocessor. That was a, that was a great machine. Um, I don't know what year that was. That had to be nine nineteen ninety maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, we just recently celebrated the 30th year of the Mac, 30th yeah. anniversary. I still think fondly of the first time I sat at a Mac. I I remember it vividly, mm-hmm. which kind of explains why I'm sitting in this chair right now. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's funny how, how the adoption of Macs in technology in in the sciences has really ebbed and flowed over time when i started in college the mac se was being used everywhere to control little lab instruments and in some places they're still that those same mac se's are still sitting there running some little obscure instrument yeah um but it's really gone through like macs were cool and everybody used them and then they dropped off and it was oh get a cheap windows machine on it and now you're seeing like macs come back into the sciences where scientists are demanding, like, you know, they want to be able to use their Macs, but the software, unfortunately, is still mostly stuck in the Windows world. Yeah, I was watching the (laughs) Mythbusters, and I noticed that they were using both Macs and PCs to to collect data from their experiments. Yeah. It it hurt me a little bit when I saw the big black (laughs) Dell. Yep. Now, Gabe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are not using a Mac in your work environment at this point. Is that correct? Or at least they don't nope, provide no. you with one. Yeah. So that they don't pre- provide me with one. That presents some interesting challenges. And I, I, I've read on your site about how you've developed some hacks to make your work life flow with the rest of your life. Because I know you're, you're very much Mac and iOS based on, yeah. on the rest of your life. So I definitely want to talk about about some of that thing that like, I mean, how do you just, how, and is that for security that they don't want you taking information back and forth? But, but how do you, how do you keep two feet in, in both worlds and, and still manage to, to keep it's everything tough. together? Yeah, it, it is tough. It's, it's, um, I think two major motivations. IT generally doesn't want to support multiple platforms like that because it, it requires more domain knowledge to exist in the group. It requires, um, when, you, when you're hiring, people have to have a knowledge of both in order to work on both. So sticking to Windows has its advantages there, plus you know cost savings and being able to swap out machines really cheaply. Um, but then there's that security um, piece that you mentioned. Like, I, I can't install Dropbox, right? So all these great tools use Dropbox. I can't install Dropbox on wow. a Windows machine. I don't right? know how so, I'd work without it at this point. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. <laughs> um, so yeah. I use things like, text drop app 
There's okay. a website which connects to your Dropbox using the Dropbox API and allows you to edit text files and view text files and write and mark down and all that stuff. Um, uh, that that is you know it's obscure, but I absolutely love it because it does give me the ability to still work in plain text and still store it in Dropbox. But I have to take care not to write things that are you know divulge any type of um, company information. So yeah. a lot of my notes are really like if you write them, they wouldn't make any sense because I use you know jargon like sh- shortened words and things like that. So let me let me back up and, and try to understand that again. So TextDrop app is a website, so you, you connect mm-hmm. to it, you have a web browser open on your on your PC, and that connects to your Dropbox, but it yep. can only see and it can only edit text files in your Dropbox. Um, now you can see other types of files, like images and things like that. It's okay. not meant for you to be able to like log in and download the files. It's more like you can go in and if it's a text file, it will allow you to to edit it and then it will it's all being done in the browser but it syncs it back to dropbox you know within a second or two while you're working um i i don't use it for anything other than working in plain text it's really awesome i mean yeah. I, I use it too in fact the guy who develops it i think lives near me i think he's in orange county oh yeah yeah, yeah he's but- um was it i i just know him as dt johnny on twitter yeah <laughs> yeah he's a super nice guy and text TextDrop does its thing well. It doesn't have a huge number of bells and whistles, but you know, if I just want to write text, that, that's you know, I have that. And so, I don't have so, things like Text Expander at work or any of that, uh, any of the other like efficiency improving stuff. So, so the uh, so the workflow then is uh, you put the files in a common Dropbox folder, which then you probably access in your Mac, like with something like NV Alt, probably. Yeah, that's right. And then that same directory you can access through the web on a PC. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there and you've got a PC at work and you want to have kind of these mobile text files, but you want to get to them, all you have to do is is go to the site and, and you know, log into Dropbox, which isn't really a total log, Dropbox login. I mean, the things that IT people are going to catch is when you install the Dropbox app, right? Right. Yeah. So this isn't doing that. You can access it through... Um, what's the name of the Windows browser? I actually forget it. It's been <laughs> Internet, Explorer. Internet Explorer. Isn't that well, they, the they, name that I forgot? They also have Chrome and Firefox as well. Yeah, that just made my day. I forgot the name of it. But anyway, so you go in and you log in, and it's you can Netscape totally edit. access and edit those files. And and I've done the same thing sitting at a PC as well. So uh, that that is a really great tip. It's great. It, it's actually surprising that Dropbox doesn't have their own text editor. I mean, I wouldn't want them to come along and kill this this guy's service, but isn't it kind of crazy that they, yeah. it doesn't have a built-in text editor? Yeah, especially with the amount of engineering talent they have. Yeah, I mean, but they, I use the Dropbox web app if I need to get to an image or you know stuff like that. It's mostly I'm I'm living in web apps. Yeah. What, what, a, what about have you played with a transporter and accessing files that way? No, I haven't. I I actually have a Synology that I could access remotely. Yeah. But um, you know, I don't know. I'm just a little nervous about opening it up to the to the internet. Yeah. You know, from from outside my house. I I do have a couple holes punched in for very specific reasons, like photo sharing things like that. But opening it up for like file browsing worries me. What about like task management? Um, and I know this isn't another outline, but how do you manage? tasks a lot of people write me and they say i love omnifocus but i have a pc at work and and I, when i used to have yep. to work at a pc a lot i until 
fairly recently, I did quite a bit of work at a PC. I would just use the iPad app and just set it in front of me and kind of manage tasks separately from the PC. How are you doing it? I, um, so I've done that a lot with the iPad just sitting there next to, next to my PC. Um, but Sputnik, have you heard of this? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's really, it accomplishes a couple things. It's a web dev syncing backend for OmniFocus because you can point OmniFocus to a web dev and it'll sync your, you know, your database file. Um, but it also will expose in a very rudimentary way the tasks and projects in that database as a web page. You can, you know, view by, you can view by contexts, you can view by projects, you can add tasks and projects, you can mark them as complete. You can't get to things like notes um, or start dates or due dates or anything like that. It's just um, very basic, but that's, that's mostly what I use because I like to have it in a window right there next to me as I'm working through a project, you know, checking things off. It's it's just a lot easier than having to switch back. Oh, my iPad locked itself. Now I unlock it and mark off the task. It's just easier to have it in a window. Yeah. And that's uh, another advantage of that is if you're someone who's concerned about letting Omni sync your tasks for you, Sputnik is an alternative service. It's not your own private web dev, which is probably the most secure way to do it. Um, I, I looked at that back in the day when I was spending more time at a PC and uh, ultimately, I didn't go with it for a couple of reasons. I guess the first would be, I thought it really looked kind of chunky with the interface, and it's ugly. Yeah, and <laughs> I'll just be frank; it's ugly and hasn't changed in years. And you know, the Siri dictation in Omni folk, well, just on iOS, is good enough for me that I add a lot of tasks very quickly, just with my voice, and it seems yeah. to work out. And then the other thing you lose is now Omni's getting these kind of great plug-in services with their syncing. So if you sync your OmniFocus through Omni Group, you've got like that mail service where you can forward an email and it automatically gets added as a task. I guess you would lose that functionality when you went with something like Sputnik. No, Sp- Sputnik provides the same service, but I can't really do that either because emails contain confidential ah, information. Yes. Yeah. Mm. But even just like... Um, like I'm sure, like me, you get a lot of email related to the website and the podcast and that stuff. Yeah. You could manage that way. Yeah, that 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 is how I do it. Actually, is through forwarding it. Sputnik has it's actually a pretty cool service, but I I don't think it ever caught on enough to warrant continued enhancements and developments. It yeah. works. It, it's worked with like um, OmniFocus two for the iPhone. Like there were no problems with syncing through Sputnik. It has some. It also has some features that I think show where he was originally going with it. It integrates with um, Basecamp by Thirty Seven Signals. Yeah, and so you can have kind of like your OmniFocus tasks and Basecamp together in one like interface, which is interesting. But I don't use Basecamp. So. Yeah, those guys are so far ahead of the curve for the web-based stuff at Thirty Seven Signals. Yeah. Yep. But um, yeah, Sputnik. It's a couple bucks a month, I think. It's not much, honestly, um, for what I get out of it. Like even just being able to use it a couple times a day on a Windows machine makes it worth a couple bucks a month. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And, and and what about the setup? Did you feel like – because some of our listeners are not uh, systems engineers, believe it or mm-hmm. not. Um, uh, did you feel it was difficult setting it up or is it something anybody could do? No. I mean you go in and you, you create your account and they give you the web dev um, – information to put in OmniFocus and you in in OmniFocus you just kind of tell it like here's where I want you to save and you give it the web dev address and the credentials and that's it. 
Yeah, it's, and it's, it's dead simple. The, I think the most complicated thing I've done with it is like reskinning it with, um, like if you want to view it in Chrome, you can you can put a new skin on on it using a Chrome extension that makes it look a little nicer. A little nicer. A little nicer. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all brown. I don't know. I don't know about the the color choices, but uh, yeah, it's functional. Well, since you're in such a lockdown system, I would imagine that you're not syncing things like um, email and contacts and calendars back and forth between your your work and in your home. I mean, David and I, I mean, we are in lockdown systems to some extent, but I, I do still have my work email and my work contacts on my my iPhone and my iPad because, of course, they want me working on the go. But mm-hmm. uh, we do that through Exchange sixty five, by the way. But my guess is you're probably not. So, in some no, degree, actually, that that must be liberating. <laughs> For iOS, uh, we are allowed to do it oh, okay. um, because iOS gives the NIT department the ability to wipe your device remotely. Yeah, that, that's right. right when yeah. you install the certificates and everything, um, so th- there's less of a security risk there because if you leave the company, they can just nuke your phone from space, and all the all the confidential information is gone. So I I can access email and my my um, Exchange calendars on my iPhone and iPad, which is great when when i first time was able to do that i was like this is like magic and then a week later it's like i hate having my work email on my <laughs> iphone yeah, exactly <laughs> well, um, we're gonna do a show at some point for pc users who love their macs you know yeah people yeah, at work it's it's on we need the a support group yeah it's on the chart because i know there's a lot of people out there dealing with these problems and there's a whole bunch of workarounds but those are all are really great solutions. And it's not as bad as it used to be in my mind because so much of this stuff is starting to become web-based services. And I know that you're, I think you're kind of an edge case and that everything is so secret where you work. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not designing, you know, most people aren't designing the seven secret herbs and spices of the Colonel's chicken. So it's, it's a lot easier for them to move back and forth. Yeah. I think you're right. Like the, some of the features are pretty cool. Like reminders works with Exchange, so I can set like a reminder in Outlook, and it'll show up in um, in the Reminders app and things like that. But what kills me is again being on my Mac at home and not having any of that information. So it makes me less willing to use Reminders. Yeah. In, in general. But um, yeah, it, it's 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 getting better. I think because more people are bringing their own devices to work. Yeah, and kind definitely. of insisting that they can access email from their iPhone, and and because of that movement, IT departments are opening up more to the possibilities. But yeah. it's, it's still a long ways to go. I yep. also think it's that Apple, as a brand, has grown so much that you're getting the C level executives that want a MacBook Air and want an iPhone and an iPad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before it was the guy, the nerds, or you know, the, the Mac nerds, I guess I should say. Some nerds will say they are not, you know, you, if you like a Mac, you're not a nerd. I, it's a whole, you know, you know religious thing. But You can't the, win. But if the guy who writes the paycheck says, here's my Mac, make it work, all of a sudden IT departments make that a priority. Yeah, and that, that tends to be what, what helps um, grease the wheels. Yeah. 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 Um I I want to talk about some of your writing tools and we're going to we're going to get into Dev and Think. It's time. 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> but the uh, before we do that, I want to talk about our first sponsor today, and that is the transporter. And uh, I, I already talked about it once on the show, actually. I love my little transporter. and actually have two of them. So the transporter is a little device that you plug in to your network, and it's got a hard drive in it. And that sounds all fine and dandy, but then when you start thinking about what it does with this really great software they make for it, and it allows you to access it from virtually anywhere. Um, we talked a little bit about Dropbox. Well, the problem with Dropbox is that you don't have, if you, you said, I want to go look at the hard drive that my data is stored on, you'd have to break into a Dropbox headquarters, it's probably up in San Francisco, and, you know, duck under some lasers and, you know, machine guns and other, everything else. And then you'd find a room full of servers, uh, assuming that they're actually in the United States, and yank that hard drive out. Well, this makes it a lot easier because Transporter, you've got the hard drive right in your house and you can do it yourself. And it really gives you the ability to have all of your files automatically available on any device without really having to do anything. So I've got these transporters. I've got one at my house. I've got one at my sister-in-law's house and it, I put data on it and it mirrors the data across both. So I've got a, a function of backup and it's also got a great component to access it from my Mac or from my mobile devices like my iPad and my iPhone. I've got the, the transporter app and I can just access that data anywhere. We were, in fact, it's getting even better now. Uh, um, i put up my comics collection on my transporter because I'm a very serious guy and I have to, you know, be serious about the way I handle my comics. And I found this new comics reader called, I think it's called chunky reader. Um, and it Th actually, this all has, sounds very serious to me. Yeah. It, it has the hooks in it that you just put your transporter credential in and it accesses it directly. So oh, that's was, cool. isn't that cool? I was, that's at, what I've been waiting to hear right there, David. You, you got me hooked. Okay. I've been waiting for app developers to start providing alternatives to Dropbox. Oh, it's happening. I mean, these guys are serious at Transporter, and they're hooking up with all these developers, and they've built the API. And this is this is one of the first that I've used it on. But I was at you know my Pete's Coffee the other day, and I got just absolutely sick and tired of the law up to my eyeballs. I think it's there's actually a Latin term for that, and I'm not going to say it. But so. <laughs> I said, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to read some Star Wars and logged into my transporter. Well, read them right there. I felt like I was living in the future. So, so that's what you can do with the transporter. The other thing you can do is you can have it move your photos and videos on your phone uh, to it. You can share entire collections with people. So you can kind of make it like a hosting service. I'm doing some stuff on the field guides with somebody and I'm going to, we're, we're doing all of that through the transporter. Um, the, they just keep getting more and more features all the time. And there's two ways to get in. They've got the transporter sync, which looks like a little hockey puck and it's a, and it plugs into an external USB drive. So if you don't want to, you know, go get the one with the, the drive in it, let's say you've got a USB drive sitting around, you can get this for $99 and just plug it in and you're in. Um, if you want to go, you know, the full Monty and get the one with the drive in it, they've got 500 gigabyte, one terabyte, two terabyte models, and you can put it in there. Another great use I have for it is pictures. We talked about this on the recent show about photo management. I've got a JPEG hierarchical folder structure of all my pictures on that transporter. And that's another great thing I can do in terms of accessing all of my photos without having to actually carry them on my iPad. And I use that all the time. So go over to filetransporter.com. It's the same people that make the Drobo. I mean, they're 
really bright engineers and software people over there making these great products. And take a good look at the transporter because I bet you have a problem it could solve. Yeah, and David, and I, I don't you know get if a discount you, code. Yeah, too, I don't know don't if you, you told them, but if they use uh, yeah. coupon code MPU, they'll save ten percent on whatever they pick up over there. Yeah, and that makes us look like heroes too, and we always appreciate that. So, uh, trans- filetransporter dot com MPU for ten percent off. And Gabe, you should use that when you get yours because you're going to need to, you know, get your comic collection up there now. I've uh, I'm doing it right now. All right, <laughs> all right. Why are you doing the ad? That's ring? what we call effective <laughs> advertising. <laughs> <clears throat> no, that's I've been. This is something I've been on about um, recently. Is just like it's great that everybody settled on Dropbox because that became kind of a standard, and you were pretty sure that if you put your data there, an app would be able to access it. But now there's lots of good alternatives, and no no one's been adding features. But it sounds like you know at least it's people are starting to break into these alternate um, storage devices. Well, I mean, if you, if you look at the stuff Jeff and the team are doing with Drobo and Transporter, they are really aggressively reaching out um, to get third-party software developers mm-hmm. supporting their hardware. And, and you know, um, Dropbox was smart because Apple dropped the ball, in my opinion, when they first came out with the iPad. They didn't have a good sync solution. And maybe they just had all their attention on getting the iPad produced, which I'm sure is not insignificant. But mm-hmm. um, Dropbox had an API for syncing really before Apple did. And as a result, I mean, all of the software developers went there, and that just seemed like the safe choice. The good thing is there's so much competition between iOS developers that supporting things like uh, third-party hardware like a transporter is a marketing thing for these guys. Um, Like, the reason I bought the Chunky Comic Reader is because it has file transporter sync um, in it. If they didn't have it, I wouldn't have bought it. And that's... You know, that's not going to be the only category of software that's going to be embracing the transporter. Yeah, that's cool. I look forward to the future. Yeah. So, Gabe, you've done this series of posts over on, on Mac Drifter, and you started talking quite a lot about DevonThink. And hmm. it's, a, it's an app that I'm aware of. It's an app that I haven't quite found a place for in my workflow. But every time you pop one of those posts up, I get more and more intrigued about what I could possibly do with it. And it's an app that a lot of Mac Power users listeners have have asked us to please please talk more about. So Okay. I'm happy to do it. Actually, you're referring those were those were sponsor posts. So okay. just to be clear. Well, that's good. Um, but I love I love they were the app, very they so. were very effective. Um, but can you give us a big picture of kind of what it does and what you can't? And then and you know, for, I mean, just pretend like I'm a Devon Think dummy, which wouldn't be far from the truth. And I have no clue about what this app is or what it does or why I might possibly need it. And then kind of tell me about how how you use it, and so maybe I can figure out where it fits in my life. Sure. As a uh I guess I'm a I'm a Devon Think representative. I can boil it down to maybe a, a couple statements. It it's like if Yojimbo and Scrivener got together with an AI put on top of it. It that's that's my best description. It All right. it's like a shoebox that's really really intelligent, but also a work environment that you can cr- actually create content and organize your your content. Um, but because the AI will do things like automatically file things based on where you've previously filed similar items you can get around like i like to use folder structures and where i save things to me the folders are metadata like the names of the folders and their relationships yes um, it's 
it supports things like tags as well. Um, but I really do like a defined folder structure. So, all right, let me let me stop you right there, and let me yep. take a little bit of step, baby steps, Gabe. Um, sure. So, so you defined it using terms that people might not understand. You defined it by saying Scrivener, which I think most Mac Power users are aware of. We've talked about Scrivener quite a bit, and it's it's this awesome app for organizing your writing and actually um, setting out to write. And we, we did a whole show on it, and David wrote multiple books about it, and or with it, sorry, not about it. Um, and then you talked about Yojimbo, which may be an app that not as many Mac Power user listeners are, are aware of. I'm not sure that we've talked about it. Um, it's by the f- same folks who make BB Edit. Um, and I'm sorry, yeah. I'm blanking on their name. Bare Bones. Bare, Bare Bones. Bones, thank you. Um, and it is kind of, Yojimbo, Yojimbo was kind of the original for Mac everything bucket uh, that you could throw different snippets of information in and Yojimbo would sync up and, and organize it. And, and Evernote has replaced for me a lot of what I used to use Yojimbo for. So it's not an app that, that I use anymore. So yeah, it, it's like a shoebox. Right. Like you, you put everything in there. It's just it holds your stuff. Okay. Like that, that's what Yojimbo to me is. And I, I was a Yojimbo user for a long time. I think we all were until um, we started getting connected devices and iOS yeah. started to to, and just Yojimbo didn't keep up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that still is a weakness for DevonThink. They have iOS devices, but they're not, I, I wouldn't say they're very super easy to use. Um, I don't use them for syncing. When I want, if I want something available all the time, I do use a service like Evernote, right? Because that that's where uh, it'll be available on my phone, on my iPad, on the web, whatever. Yeah. But I'm finding that there's not, a whole lot of stuff that I need available all the time. <laughs> so most of it I, I store on my Mac and that's where I'm going to go look for things. Um, now, you know, that's yeah. a good point to talk about for a minute because it is very tempting as a geek to always want to have your data everywhere. Always want to have the ability to use your iPad to do everything. I mean, in, in our mind, we make this theoretical problem. But in reality, how often do you really need your iPad to do everything? Maybe if you could just sit down and sort out your your OmniFocus and read a couple of comics, that's enough. Uh, or maybe you don't need your data on every device. It does, you know, you don't need your your 2007 gas bill on your phone. Right. That, that's kind of been my conclusion, mostly because as I was loading things into Evernote, it's becoming harder and harder to find with search. You know, yeah, and the, and the, the argument with the, with these services is like like Gmail and whatever. Search is great; you can find whatever you need. Well, there's ultimately this this point where you reach where you have so much content that the search results are still too large for for me to parse and figure out what I'm looking for. So rather than go that route and dump everything in there, I'm just dumping the things in that I know either I want to collaborate with somebody on or are things like, you know, um, birthday gift list ideas. I keep those in, you know, in a single synced file so that I can add to them as I think of things. Um, But like Devin Think is more a something I would use around a specific project that I was undertaking. Like I mentioned, like Scrivener, you can organize all of your, um, like metadata, like notes and images and, you know, reference materials. Scrivener is really a writing environment, in my opinion. DevonThink is more of like that file cabinet for, for a whole huge project that may or may not be writing related. Um, you can put web archives in it. Um, PDFs you can annotate without opening them in an editor. It's built right in. Um, view images and videos right right within DevonThink. 
and it creates these little databases or big based on how much you put in it. And so you can have a different database for each project and, and isolate things from each other. And then when you're done, archive that whole project away somewhere. And, and I actually will keep sensitive information in Devon think because I can put it inside an, an encrypted DMG yeah. or an encrypted disk image it, because it's a single file. What it is, it's, it's like, um, if you know what a package is on the mm-hmm, Mac, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it's really a special kind of folder inside is all your content, but it also has a little database where it's keeping all the indexed information about everything in that, in that, um, package. So search is really super fast and Devon think and extremely accurate, um, and, and I think more flexible than say a spotlight search, because in Devon think you can say like, give me, give me th- this word that is within five words of this other word. Yeah. So you can really narrow down quickly. So let the me most, ask you, um, I'm sorry, David. I was say the most common usage I hear of Devon think is often scientists. I yeah. think it's very popular in academia historians i've seen some really interesting and people who use devon think love devon think they're yeah. like really passionate about it because it does solve some hard problems particularly like i've mentioned the ai a couple times and the idea there is you know you, you start bringing in a lot of content like pdfs and web archives and text files and you manually sort them you say oh i want this to go in this folder and this to go in this folder and that actually takes a lot of work but what the AI does is kind of pay attention to where you initially are sorting things. And then when you drop something else in, you can say classify, like auto classify, and it will automatically move it to the folder that it thinks it needs to be in based on whatever secret sauce they're using to determine similarity. And I found that it's, it's extremely accurate of where that, that file should go. And, and that comes into play when you've got this high volume of stuff you're bringing in. You're doing like yeah. serious research and you're bringing in maybe hundreds of articles mm-hmm. and you want them to get in the right place. I think that's one of the hangups I have with it is I just don't run into that very often. I mean, when I do a research project for a legal brief, for instance, my workflow is to open a Scrivener file and then I save the research right to the Scrivener file because then mm-hmm. I'm accessing it. But I never really have a case where I'm uh, I filter uh, lawyers, are, I think, work a little different than scientists in a lot of ways. And one of them is, you know, I read a case online and I make a decision whether it's relevant or not to what I'm doing. And quite often it doesn't make the cut. So the stuff that actually gets into my research project at the end of the day is maybe 10 or 15 items. It's never even on a really big project. It's never really more than 40 yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, it's. I think it it does serve a much. It provides much more value to people with large projects with lots of content than yeah. than people who just collect a few items. But some of the unique things that it does is like, you know, you're looking at that web page. In it has its own built-in browser. You're looking at that web page in Devon Think. You just basically say like archive this, and it creates a, a static web archive of that into your project and you know files it appropriately so that when you go back to view it, you're viewing exactly what you're viewing at that time, and then you can do markup on it and yeah, copy nice. the content out of that it and stuff nice. like that. So so that's that's pretty nice. Same thing with emails. It'll integrate with mail to like pull in your emails and link them back to mail and index them for searching and sorting, but it keeps its own copy of the message too. Yeah, David, I'm thinking you could open a DevonThink project for 
you know, a case and have all the emails associated with the case, have all the discovery associated with the case, um, have all the pleadings associated with the case. I, I think there could be applications for this in the legal environment. But Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not writing it off at all. Um, yeah. I, I do have a more basic question, though, and I think I know the answer based on where you've been going with this. But um, when I store things in Evernote, for example— they are in Evernote. I mean, I'll, I'll, take, a, I'll take a PDF that I've downloaded or I'll take a, a, web sna- a snippet that I've clipped off of a website with the Evernote web clipper, and that document now lives in Evernote because presumably I've now deleted it after I've, I've put it in Evernote. Now, technically, that, that document is somewhere in my computer buried deep inside some you know library support file somewhere mm-hmm. deep. But it sounds like when you're using DevonThink, the original source material stays wherever it is. So if you have this hierarchical folder system already created for your project, you're not actually moving or deleting or changing the location of that data. Devon think is just linking to it. Is that correct? It'll actually um, do either or. So if you want to store your material right in the Devon think um, like database file, you can do that. And it, it, it'll, you can choose to make that database spotlight, spotlight indexable. Or you can tell DevonThink, create this database, but I want you to index this folder over here instead. So now it basically shows a representation of your fol- your external folder, like in your finder, inside DevonThink. And it, it behaves like the material's there, but it's actually in a folder somewhere. And that's more like if you don't feel comfortable dropping your stuff into DevonThink, which... You know, there was a time when I was worried about putting my material in Devon Think. Will I be able to get it out if the app goes away someday? Um, I since gave up that fear because I drilled into the package and saw that they're just files saved <laughs> inside there, and yeah. I could always get them out later. And the um, formats of those files are they are they plain text or what are they? They're whatever the format of the file originally so was. Like so if PDF. it's a PDF, it's a PDF. Yeah. If it's a you know image, it's an image. Um, it does not change the content. It's more just storing it in that file to keep them all aggregated in one place because it allows you to use multiple database files at a time. Almost like resource files for a video. Yeah, right. It, it's... I think it's a pretty nice system. Again, I don't use it for everything. I use it for, you know, very specific cases. I archive my email to a database. Um, I archive content for like a, a project I'm starting and I want to, I know I'm going to have a bunch of stuff. I'll put it into a Devon think database. Um, all, right, all right, Katie, I think it's time to commit. So we're going to put up a Devon think <laughs> show. Didn't we just Why? do it? No, we didn't. Uh-huh. We're going to do it. We're going to drill deep on this. I'm going to get it. I'm going to use it for some serious projects. And uh, we're putting a call out to the listeners, all of you Devon Think devotees. That was pretty clever, wasn't it? Uh, send us an email. Tell us how you're using it. And we're going to do a whole show on Devon Think. Yeah, you'll you'll find some really creative stuff. Like um, I used to be um, very active on the, the Devon forums. And like I said, their users are really passionate, but they like to go on and kind of write essays about how they use it. Like a historian uses it for writing a a research paper or a med student uses it to research a specific topic. Like there's just really interesting ways that people are using these, these tools. Just Wait, no, I think it'll be a great show. Do you use it for your podcast production at all? Uh, I don't, but that's because of the way we publish our podcast. Um, we, we live edit inside a static, like admin interface. So we, we don't gather things like that in advance. We record the show, 
and then we do the notes separately. I don't know if you've seen the show notes. The show notes are yeah, they're a little, like excessive. A little no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, they're they're a little like um, blog posts. They're not just they're not just links. Yeah, I think it's a yeah. great. I think it's great what you guys are doing. Now, there's a lot of versions of Devon Think. Yep. What and version are you using? I'm using the Pro Office version because I like the OCR that's built into it, and that's that's like. At the different price points that Devon think are based on what feature set you need. And, and pro office is like the top one, which includes like um, the Abbey fine reader OCR engine. Yeah. And while I do use a Fujitsu and it does great OCR, like I, not everything I want to, to OCR comes in from my scanner. So Devon think you can actually set it to like, OCR this document or OCR when it comes into this folder. I mean, it's it's a super scriptable system too. So you can set actions on like almost like you do with something like Hazel on the finder. Yeah. You can tell it like when something comes into this folder, do this thing. Um, and one of those is you can you can have it automatically OCR things. I, I just have like a zero tolerance policy now. Anything on my computer needs to be OCR'd. Because yeah. it it's not like it used to be where the OCR was bad and it took forever for the computer to do it. The computer can do it very quickly now. And having yep. the ability to access all that text to me uh, is extremely annoying when I open a PDF and I can't select text in it. Or or search the content. Yeah, That's exactly. the one that kills me is I want to yeah. be able to search on what's in there, um, not just to know, not just searching by the file name. Yeah. But I, you know, I would say anybody interested in Devon Think, go in. They, I th- they do a pretty good job showing you, like these are the features for each each different version. I've just been like a Pro Office user uh, since wow, maybe two thousand and seven, something like that. Like I, I've been using Devon Think for ages, and uh, it was just always a no brainer for me. To get the one that had the OCR and all the bells and whistles, because then I don't have to have buyer's remorse that I got the wrong version. <laughs> Didn't well, do something I'm, I wanted. I'm going to get myself a copy, and uh, I'm going to give Katie a hard time about it, too. And I'm, I've got some big projects coming up, and I definitely want to hear from listeners that are using this. I think maybe we could expand this into a whole show. Cool. But, Hit uh, me up if you need any, any yeah, we may uh, have suggestions. Yeah, we may have you back. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but, but I don't want this to become the Devin Think Show, because there's so much more you have to share with us. Uh, but before we do that, Katie, why don't we talk about our next sponsor, Yeah, I want to talk about our next sponsor, and that is from our good friends over at Smile. They make a product that is essential to the way that I use my computer, and that is Text Expander. It is probably one of the very first applications, definitely within the top five, that I install on my Mac whenever I'm setting up a new Mac, and I just absolutely could not live without it. And we talked a little bit last month about kind of the getting back to basics with Text Expander and what it does, but for those of you who may have missed that, shame on you, but it allows you to expand little abbreviations that you've created into much longer segments of text. So for example, it can be a a single word, it can be a series of words, it can be a small paragraph of text, or it can be entire pages of text. It's up to you. And I don't know if there's an upper limit to these. I certainly haven't run into it because I've probably got well over a couple of hundred text expander snippets at that point. But beyond just expanding a couple of snippets into longer phrases of text, you can start getting really creative with the type of snippets that you do. 
So you can have snippets that have specialized and custom fields into them. So you can say, dear blank, thank you so much for writing to me about pick one of the three products because you, with text expander, you can have fill in snippets where you can fill in uh, anything. You can have a uh, check off snippets where you can check off one or more items. Uh, they have snippets that will put in the date. They have snippets that will put in time. They have snippets that will put in segments of code. They have snippets that will run Apple script and Perl script and shell scripts and all those other kinds of scripts that I don't know nothing about, but Dave could, uh, Gabe could probably tell you all about them and, and, and awesome things that you can do with, with text expander. Although I do know that I take, I take benefit, uh, from people like our, our good friend, Brett Terpstra drink, who, um, writes these text expander snippets and is so kind to share them with the with the rest of the community. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit about the way that I use Text Expander. I've got a series of folders set up within the Text Expander application where I organize my snippets into these are snippets that I use for work, these are snippets that I use uh, for personal things, these are snippets that I use for blogging, snippets that I use for the podcast. And I organize my snippets in there and just a couple of simple things that I use snippets for. When I sign off on emails, a lot of times I'll write thanks, comma, uh, new line, Katie. And so I just abbreviate that with TK semicolon and text expander automatically uh, brings it all out for me. If I want to go with a more formal email signature that has my name, my address, uh, my blog, my website, and all of that other stuff, um, I have a, an MPU uh, SIG snippet that I can expand. If I'm at the office and I need to have one of those big, long legal jargon s signatures that says, you know, blah, 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 don't do anything with this, whatever, this is not a binding contract snippets, I can go ahead and expand that. But perhaps some of my favorite and most used text expander snippets are snippets that I've created for typos, um, because those are embarrassing. And they have a segment of snippets that you can download to autocorrect uh, to autocorrect snippet text that is done by the fine folks over at Tidbits that will automatically upload most commonly mistyped words into Text Expander. And then I've even created my own typos because how embarrassing is it when you mistype your name in an email? And that doesn't happen anymore because Text Expander fixes it for me and just saves me from looking like a moron more often than it probably should. So you can find more information about Text Expander on their website over at smilesoftware.com. Uh, you can try before you buy. You can download a free full trial version over there. And if you decide that you can't live without it, just like I can't live without it, you can pick it up for $34.95. But wait, there's more. Uh, Text Expander is also available on iOS. And uh, they have a development kit for developers who can build all the Text Expander goodiness into their applications. So if you pick up their app on iOS for $4.95, and the developer has built in support for Text Expander into their app, and there's got a whole list of developers who do support it. Uh, via the magic of Dropbox Sync, all of your wonderful Text Expander snippets that you've created on your Mac will magically sync over to your iPhone, and you can have access to your entire Text Expander library both on your iPhone within their app, so you can expand snippets and copy and paste them out or email them out or whatever you want to do, or directly in the apps for developers who support it. And so that's become a must-have feature for uh, me choosing certain applications like uh, which text ed editor am I going to use? So, uh, thanks to Smile for their continued support of our show. Check out Text Expander at smilesoftware.com, and uh, we'll be talking more about them. So, if you have a special way that you're using Text Expander, uh, drop us an email at feedback at macpowerusers.com and let us know. I have a way I'm using it. Of course, you do. <laughs> when, um, whenever you know, I do inline email replies. I break them up, and whenever I ask somebody to do something to me, and they they say something like, "I'm really trying." 
I, I always I have a snippet I write in response. It's, it's called do or do, you know, D O O R D D O Gabe, you know where I'm going, right? Well, why don't yeah. you just type out Yoda? <clears throat> yeah, that would be a good one too. So, you know, the Yoda quote, do or do not, do not, there is no try. Uh, so that's become so automated in my brain that I was, and I use it for Max Sparky stuff. I never use it for work stuff. I had a client write me about saying how he was doing something and I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I used it and I sent it to him and he wrote back and now he's like, he loves me. I, he thinks I'm the best lawyer in the world. It helps if he got the reference. <laughs> yeah. It could have gone really wrong, you know, <laughs> maybe that's a sign of senility. I'm not sure, but that's, it's how I, you make your best friends in the world. You say obscure things. And if they recognize it, they're your friend for life. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure that's that obscure. Actually. I think most people know that one. Yeah. But I have so many of those little phrases in, in text expander. I, I don't even know if there's a way to count how many snippets I have, but there's a lot of them. I have a couple. Yeah, I bet you do. Not not in the ad read. I just love text expander and use it like crazy. I have um, the opposite of typo correction. I have what I call safe words. So on Twitter, (laughs) I don't I don't like to use. I see where this. I don't like to spell out iPhone or iPad um, because bots. Like search Twitter for people mentioning those words and then yeah. spam them. Yeah. So I have text expander snippets that replace the I with um, I don't even know what character this is, but it's it's another it's another character from the you know the standard ASCII character set. Yeah. But it looks like an I, but it's not an I. So it yeah. kind of hopefully their bots are dumb enough they don't look for every possible variation. But it still looks like iPhone, but it's not going to be recognized by a bot as iphone that's smart and um i have another i have a whole collection of like the html entities for different characters like the tab key or the return key yeah so i can use those instead of having to type out tab key you know in, in yeah, brackets it's such a pain or something with html yeah. yeah so i i use those like crazy so I love text expander. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about. I guess while we're on the subject of text, you're um, you have joined. It seems like the rest of the geeks and switched over to Sublime Text at this point, right? Uh yeah, yeah. That, well, that, I don't know. I think it's a pretty even split between TextMate and Sublime Text at this point. Oh, is it? Because well, I thought yeah. everybody had kind of moved on from TextMate. Uh, I've heard. I've heard that it's gotten a lot better. I was a TextMate user at one point. Um, it's just like I don't want to keep switching. I've used BB Edit. I've used TextMate. I've used Sublime Text. But Sublime te- Text works on Windows. Yeah. So, and uh, and the Mac. So I can use it everywhere. Yeah, I love it. It's a great great um, application. It's it's extremely nerdy. I, I, it's um. <clears throat> Got a pretty serious learning curve initially because, like, in order to change the font size, you have to open a configuration text file and put a line in there that tells it what font size to use. Like, it's 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 some serious uh, geek tool. But that's the kind of control people are looking for. Yeah, well, that, that's what it, that is. What I like about it is that. Um, I'll do a comparison with another app that I really do like. I like BB Edit a lot. I think, yeah. uh, and I use it, you know, probably on a weekly basis on my Mac for very specific tasks. Um, but their preference pane has a lot of stuff in it, and trying to figure out where it is isn't always easy. Um, I would say tech, um, Sublime Text is even more customizable. But if I'm looking for what I need to change, it's pretty easy to figure out how to add that line and and change like. 
you know the the column widths in the in the in the display um it also has a really sublime text has a really great um community building plugins for it that do some amazing stuff I sometimes think I'm just way too obsessed with these high-end text editors because <laughs> it seems like the people who really benefit from this are generally web programmers and system administrators and people who are doing a lot of like Unixy stuff yeah. and, and web stuff. And that's not most people. And I keep trying to make them work. And I know a couple high-end writers, but they're always geek writers that do a lot of like writing, like, you know, John Syracuse writes his legendary OS 10 reviews and BB edit, mm-hmm. but he's really a web programmer by day. And so that that's just the tool that's familiar with him. I think if he wasn't, he probably would be happier in something like Scrivener. Um, but at the same time, I can't help but always be watching over the shoulder of people using these applications a little bit. You know, a little bit thinking, well, how could I do that? And, and I just never find a way because and the, part of the other problem is Brett Terpstra, who makes all these great services. So I can get a lot of the best features out of these apps in like in Byword because it's just a service now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say tools like Sublime Text and BB Edit are primarily programmer tools and they can be extended to be a good writing environment. But I would say unless you're already you know, working in a programming tool, it's going to be a, a, a lot of friction versus something like Scrivener, which is just a writing tool. Everybody knows how to, how to write. Yeah. Um, to get the most out of something like Sublime Text, you kind of have to already be familiar with auto-completion and, you know, um, syntax highlighting and all the kind of, you know, things in a code editor. Yeah. But if you are familiar with it, you can you can watch somebody who knows how to use sublime text really well or BB edit for that matter. And it looks like magic when they write, like things yeah. are happening that is almost impossible to explain and they never take their hands off the keyboard. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty empowering. I think if you're already working with these tools. Agreed. Agreed. And another choice of software you have, well, let's talk about mail a little bit. And uh, mm. you and I talked about this recently in my yeah. book, <laughs> but um, I want to talk about MailMate because it seems to be kind of an up and coming mail client on the Mac. And I know that you, is that your daily driver yeah. for your mail now? Yeah. I love talking about MailMate. So yeah. this, this is a good topic. Well, okay. <laughs> I can tell you when I first started using it, cause I spent some time with it when I was running the email field guide, I liked the power of it, but I didn't like the experience of it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I felt like there was a lot under the hood, but you really had to tinker a lot with it to kind of get the most out of it. But after I wrote that and kind of throughout the process of publishing the book, it just kept getting better and better and better. And, you know, MailMate is really becoming a contender for, for a mail application that it's outside the Apple mail app. Yeah. I think it, it, it too started off as like a real nerd tool. Like, people who would normally do mail from the command line. <laughs> now here's a, a slightly GUI based mail client. But yeah. like you said, he just kept improving and improving and adding things like, you know, these smart searches and smart folders and all these really nice, like, um, utilities built into the, the mail app. And he's continued to develop this thing in a positive direction, not just adding, you know, fluff. It's like, these are real, nice tools like being able to write i know this is a nerd feature but being able to write in markdown and have it properly dis, you know displayed when it sends the message is is great like yeah. i love that 
um, like I just wrote an email to somebody and sometimes I forget I can do this in Mailbait. If you want to put an image into the message and it's, you know, on, you have a link to the image, you can write like a markdown image link in yeah. your message and, and it, it will show up. up in the message. Yeah. Like that's awesome. I re- I really like it. And the other thing I really like about Mailmate is the developer, Benny, um, he did like not a Kickstarter. What's um, kind of a crowdsource? Yeah, he did a, he did, yeah, Indiegogo. He did an Indiegogo. Basically said like, look, guys, I love this product, but it doesn't pay my bills, and I can't commit this this time I need to do to get to the next major version, version two point because there's just too many features to build. So he did an Indiegogo, and more or less said for every certain mark that'll get me to this this point release and you know if i get this much money that will pay for me to do this as like a part-time job and get to version 2.0 and i just kind of like that that idea of like you know you're directly paying this person to make the thing that you like yeah you know and i believe the 2.0 version is going to really address some of my biggest complaints in terms of the Mm -hmm. interface yeah and uh, i know he's working on a lot of he's it sounds like the the development is split between like making it more of a user-friendly app, but also adding some crazy deep nerd tools to it, like yeah. actions on sending a message, things that you can you can program Mailmate to do before the message actually goes out to the server, where it like you know cleans up or adds your signature or processes it and re- you know changes markdown to html which it does right now but he'll he'll explode expose that to people like brett who can make cool plugins yeah to make it do stuff so that's pretty neat yeah and it's really also nice to see people making third-party mail applications again because so for so many years that just wasn't possible i mean when i first started using a computer you would buy a mail application that wasn't something that was just given to you when you bought the computer I mean, when the internet first started showing up and email first became a thing, you would look around and you'd shop around and you'd buy the mail application that you thought made most sense to you. And then uh, Apple and Microsoft started shipping mail with the operating system and then all those guys went away because they couldn't compete against free. And now people, I think email has become such a problem that people are are willing to pay. Um, you see this rich market of plugins for Apple Mail and you see something like SaneBox and, and MailMate. I, I think it's really encouraging that you know it will help us with the mail problem. Well, we also need that to innovate and in, in think about mail in different ways. Yeah. So, like, things that I like about MailMate, his smart folder implementation. He added this, this kind of, like, interesting feature where, you know, in mail, you can create a smart folder that says, based on these conditions, show these types of messages in the, when I click on this folder. Right. Yeah. Mailmate adds this n- new idea to it where you can say the folder also generates sub mailboxes automatically from unique values of and like, for example, this, this is one I use for like sponsors for Mac Drifter. Um, I have a sponsors smart folder that basically looks in looks in my actual sponsors mail folder on my server, but then um, creates sub mailboxes based on the, the sender's name. So when I pop open that smart folder, I immediately see all the all of my sponsors' names, and clicking on their name will just show me just their messages. Yeah, like it, it's pretty neat. Like that that's clever, and that's 
I think what we need we need people to think beyond the, like the traditional mail dot app model. Yeah, and a small developer can try things that big companies won't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that is encouraging. And also, just I don't want to spend the whole time on mail either, but you're one of the guys that uses a lot of different mailboxes. Yeah. Right? Your project-based yep. mailboxes. Uh-huh. You know, the, the thing I'm telling everybody not to do, you're doing. And, yeah. and I think that's, you know, and, and that just goes to show that not every, there's no hard and fast way to do any of this stuff. Uh, I thought you made a really good case for using multiple mailboxes with mail because of your work. You want to talk about yeah, that just that, a little that, bit? That's where it really comes from is um, I keep a lot of mail and I get a lot of mail at work mostly. <laughs> I get a huge amount of mail and very often this is like reference material for projects and tracking who said what when and who's committed to a certain timeline and all this kind of stuff. And search kind of breaks down at that point because if I search by their name, like I'm going to get 2,000 messages in the search results. That doesn't help me. And then I start searching, well, what was the term? Like, okay, well, what was the approximate date that it should be in? And at that point, I've spent so much time trying to assemble the search. Like I could have just drilled into the folder, which was this project and this attribute of the project, you know, this sub project and, and just, you know, narrow it down to... 20 or 30 messages at that point. And but see the magic I think for you Gabe is not I understand what you're doing at the back end, but it's the front end that makes the difference because to me having multiple folders becomes such a burden in terms of filing the mail. Yeah. It takes so much time to figure out where it goes and to try and get it in the right place and you can't use keyboard shortcuts once you get over, you know, realistically 10 mailboxes. Uh so <laughs> Uh, what you've done is you found automation tools to do a lot of that for you. Yeah. Um, so explain well, that a little I'll, bit. I'll, I'll actually hit on hit on MailMate again here because that that's actually my favorite implementation is and it's built into the Mail client. Um, what is it? Hitting Command Option T brings up like a little search bar, and you just if you have a message just selected, you hit Command Option T start typing in the name of the folder and it immediately narrows the view. You hit return and it pushes them right to that folder. Yeah. Um, if you use fast mail, their web app does the same thing. You can get plugins for mail.app that enable that to automatically file, you know, based on you pointing it to a folder or setting up mail rules that say, if it's from this person and this word is in the message, just automatically file it here. And then, then it takes a lot of, a lot of the pain out of it. Yeah, and, and I think that's essential. If you're going to use a lot of folders, you've got to have a system to file it for you. Oh, yeah. If it, I was manually dragging with a mouse cursor each message to a folder, I would I would go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, and, and those types of rules are available on almost every system I work on. You can get, like, Outlook does this. Um, Fastmail, you can actually do it server-side, which I've recently moved everything out of all my various mail servers into fast mail and then set up my server side rules to just kind of like automatically file messages away when they come in. Well, what about processing them? Do, do you see them? Using smart I see them based on or? when, when it's time to go look for them mostly. Like wow. if, 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 um, you know, I'll have my task come up, like respond to Mac drifter messages and then I'll go look at the Mac drifter message folders, you know, and, and look to see what's in there. Um, I have various what I call bacon folders, which yeah. are you know things that have the word unsubscribe in it, or you know various buzzwords for 
um, offers you know, yeah. from, from all kinds of services that I may have invited, but I don't want to see all the time. And I do care about what they say, but I, you know, I don't care about it every second of the day. What do you do? Because this is my problem is I end up with, I, I save all of these messages into all of these folders, particularly for work. And David's gotten on me about it too. And then a, a project is done. So what I did then is I just took, okay, well, the Smith project is done. So I take the Smith project and I move it into a folder called closed within mail.app. And, oh gosh, now I've just, I haven't solved the problem. Now I've just got more folders and it's particularly bad on, on iOS because there's no way that you can tell iOS, okay, well, ignore everything that's in this folder because I, I don't really ever need to file anything in here anymore or anything like that. And so what I've started doing is just exporting them to PDFs and saving them to the file as, you know, just doing a, a select all and print PDF type thing and then taking those folders and just moving them into a, a more general archive and, and getting rid of them. But it sounds like you're doing that with – are you doing that all with Devon Think or um, – Well, at work, I can't yeah. use Devon Think. But right. conveniently there, attorneys are helping us um, by <laughs> – by limiting the amount of mail storage we can have, you know, it, it reduces liability. I think, Once again, overall. lawyers helping the world. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, so in that case, we, we actually don't end up having mail older than a couple years in our, in our work mailboxes, which is actually, you know, starting to become a problem. If you have things that you need to reference, they're yeah. gone. Um, Please don't but, blame me. I, I've I never written one of those I, memos. I absolutely understand the motivation, so I, I can't can't complain about that. On my Mac, actually, I don't I don't have many projects that have ever ended, like quote ended. Like most of the stuff I do is relatively open ended, so I've never really had had a need to archive it. When we when we used to have like unlimited mail storage at work, I would actually archive them out of Outlook. Like say like particularly like when I transitioned from chemistry into IT. Like, I didn't really need all that chemistry email be- anymore. Um, so I archived it out to a um, PST file, you know, like the, the Outlook native email format. And it's st- it was still on my drive, and I could open it if I wanted to and import them or do whatever. But it wasn't in my mail message or mail, mail client. So I guess I haven't had, I haven't had much of the, the need to archive it. What's the motivation for archiving? Just to get it out of your face? Get it out of the folders, get it out of my face and only have in, because I don't like the folders, but only have in the folders what I'm actually actively working on. I see. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I could see that. I, I just, it hasn't been an, an issue for me. Um, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. Just the thought of opening it on my phone and seeing the, all those folders scroll just makes me hurt. Okay. I, understand. I couldn't do it. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't see that very often though. Cause uh, I'm looking at the main inbox. Yeah. Like the inbox doesn't have my folders, so unless I purposely back out and go look for um, the folder group, that that's the only reason. And and in that case, it has a benefit of you can search based on the folder. Yeah. Well, well we've got more to talk about, but I want to yep. talk about Omni Outliner Four, uh, the new version from the Omni Group. This is an ad spot, by the way. <laughs> okay. We we love the Omni Group. They've been a sponsor of our show for a long time, and I really have 
the, and you know, Omni Outliner Four has now been out a month, and I've really kind of had a renaissance with this outlining application with this new version. They've made so many nice improvements to it. It zooms now, so text can be magnified on the screen without changing the print layout. They've got the new user interface, and it's a really nice, clean user interface. I, you know, it really feels kind of modern to me, and. I like the way that the Omni Group is making apps these days. It just—it's very friendly to use, and it's—it's it's a joy to sit there and, and work on the outlines. Um, they've got the resource browser now, so you can browse recently edited files, choose templates, apply themes to existing documents. It's—I've been using that all the time, and the new sidebar is much better than the drawer. We used to have this drawer interface. That's gone now. We've got this sidebar. And the bottom line is I'm just using Omni Outliner more than I ever have. Uh, so now uh, one of the best ways I find for using this application is when someone gives me a bunch of disjointed information. Um, and in my day job, that happens quite often. People bring me stuff and and nobody really has a good organization to it. And I, I just start putting things in Omni Outliner. It'll start as a one-level list and nothing is linear. Nothing really makes sense. And then I just start combining and moving elements around. And this is really easy to do. And then it syncs now because they have the OmniSync service um, that apply, that brings it right over to my iPad. So then I can even work on it further when I'm away from my Mac. And it's it's just really great. I, I like the templates they put in. So then once you get it all done, you apply a theme to it. And it, it makes it look really good. And you send it to somebody and it looks like you spent many, many hours on it when, in fact, all you really did is organize, apply a theme and send. And it makes you look really smart. And that's I think that's the selling point for really all the Omni applications in my mind is that with very little time and effort, you can make a really great looking product that's useful. I mean, I can use it to present to clients. If you're in sales, you could put it, you know, out to prospective um, clients, no matter what you do. I I, like in, if I was in school, this would have been great for tracking lectures because you know how professors jump all over the place. Boy, I wish I had this tool back then. Um, So Omni Outliner 4 is out now. Uh, You definitely want to go check it out. Oh, another thing they have is this, what they call smart match technology. It's this pop-up list of styled columns that matches uh, what you've got in, uh, just like they use in OmniFocus. So you can apply and find things much faster. This is just a really great application. Uh, they've got a pro version out for $99.99, and they've got the standard version for $49.99. There are family plans, so if you want to buy multiple licenses, you get a discount. There's the student discount. I got the um, pro version, I bought the original one. So when I bought this, I was able to get the upgrade at the Omni Group website. I bought directly from them. So I got it for half price with the with the discount. Um, I'm using Omni Outliner 4 more than ever. And uh, if you haven't checked out this new version, it's time to do so. So thanks to the Omni Group. And thank you for making such a great product like Omni Outliner 4. Can I, can I uh, you can cut this if you want, but I have... I have a cool story about Omni Outliner. Oh, you do? Well, let's hear it. Yeah. Um, you know, being being married to uh, a computer nerd actually has fewer benefits than people might imagine. Um, so I've yeah, recommended so, sometimes lo- lots we make of it software. <laughs> yeah, I've recommended lots of software to my wife, and most of the time she just kind of you know rolls her eyes like that's too much work or whatever. Um, but when she started law school, I 
strongly recommended Omni Outliner for doing her course notes. Yeah. And, uh, oh man, I wish man, I she took then. to it. Like any, I, I gave her like a, a brief tutorial on here's how you can create your template or theme and customize it for your, you know, your specific use case. And she just, she, she created such amazing looking course notes out of this that the people that sat on either side of her ended up going and buying Omni Outliner for the iPad and buying an iPad yeah, <laughs> and then using that for their course notes. And it's my understanding they still use it today for that purpose because it, like it, it does it. You can put your text in there, but you can also drop an image in, right? You can put pretty much anything in Omni Outliner and or then sync it, sync it back to your Mac. Like that's and, awesome. And you can pr- press a button and record the professor. Yeah. 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 It's just, when I look at the notes I used to take in school, well, you know what I did back in the old, old, old days? I had a Tandy, or maybe it was called Radio Check at the time. I think it was called the WP2. And it was a little, key, it was a keyboard with like an eight-line LCD display. Okay, give, granted, this is like 1992 or so. Mm-hmm. And... And it ran on a couple AA batteries. Actually, in hindsight, it was an, it was an amazing bit of technology for the time. Uh, so you had it had a keyboard on it, so you could type, and you had eight lines of text. And all it did was text files. See, see, Katie, my text file fetish goes way back. Yeah. And and it made a text file, and then I could just take that back and dump it into a computer, and that's how I took notes. But it was very difficult to move back and forth and move things around. Has your wife figured out the Omni Outliner keyboard shortcuts yet? I taught her a couple of them for the most part. No, she do, she just doesn't have, I would say, the bandwidth. She's she's learning so much all oh. the time, trying to memorize keyboard shortcuts. She's yeah. just like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna even think about that. Well, is she doing so, it on the iPad or her Mac? She started out using it um, on her iPad mostly with an external keyboard. And um, was it like the origami case is what I got her initially. And then I got her a MacBook Air, like her second year of school. And she prefers that just because it's just easier for her to do it. But she occasionally will just take her iPad and work on it. And that's the awesome part is you can sync back and forth. Like there's no problem to, to work in one place and then work in another one later. And she like her notes are just absolutely amazingly structured. And the way she uses colors to indicate like, you know, whether or not this is absolutely going to be on the exam or this is just supplemental information or, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I think we should have you just uh, bring your wife in now. <laughs> and, 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 we'll and, and we'll do it. We'll want to talk to her about student workflows. So Gabe, thank you. It's been fun. All right. And now we're going to talk no to problem. Gabe's wife. Yeah. No. Uh, um, Gabe, I, you- I, I'm sure she'll, she'll be game for it. So. <laughs> okay. Gabe, you and I got into a, a little back and forth on the internet a couple of weeks ago, I think now, and it was it was fun because I put up something. Um, well, it, it's it was funny, Ron Robin, because you had talked about you did a, a paperless episode of technical difficulties or a scanning episode, I think, of technical yeah. difficulties, and you talked about how you were concerned about putting certain things in certain cloud services because you didn't want confidential information in cloud services. So I popped up a post about. Oh, how this is how you can do redaction using a combination of Hazel and PDF Pen, and mm-hmm. you said, "Okay, that's that's pretty cool." There, there, Katie. That's that's nice. Challenge. Good, good for you. <laughs> Very good for you. Uh, and then you came out like twelve hours later with something that just completely 
blew me away. And you're like, all right, well, I can, I can take this and I can highlight it and I can throw it through my scan snap and I can have it automatically redact based on keywords and uh, keywords and scripting this. And we'll have, none of this will make sense, but we'll have links to it all in the, <laughs> in, in the show notes. But that, that whole conversation kind of got me interested in, um, tell me about how you're using some of this technology. Cause I know you're big into automation. I know you're, you're big into Hazel yeah. and, and keyboard maestro and, uh, so obviously I, I have a few things I can learn. Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was already looking at the um, scan snaps highlight functionality and if people, people don't know that you can, um, using a, you know, a few specific colors of highlighters on your original paper document, highlight words, run it through the scan snap. And when it does the OCR and generates the PDF back on your Mac, it will set those words that were highlighted as keywords on the PDF file. And I had already like been working on a little, little, you know, I don't know, project or whatever you want to call it uh, to like automatically file things based on highlighting words. Do you want to hear something completely anal retentive? Yeah. Is this about a green highlighter? It is. Yeah. When I wrote paperless, I got every color highlighter. And was test doing these tests. I did red, yellow. Yep. <laughs> Green works like significantly better than any other color. I I I agree, but I didn't have a green highlighter. I had pink and blue and yellow. And oh no! Those, so did you make green? The best. <laughs> <laughs> I used pink because it seemed seemed to work consistently. But yeah, there is huge variability, variability. in when David doesn't, doesn't have a green highlighter, he gets out his yellow highlighter and his blue highlighter. <laughs> and then he, he runs them through the skin. Hey, I how dumb am I? I had a yellow one and a blue one. There, there you go. I didn't go that route. I have this vivid memory. My wife walked in the room and I had all these copies and I was highlighting the same thing in different colors on each one. And she's like, you are completely insane. I, we live parallel lives, David. Yeah, <laughs> mine went the, more or less the same way. I was using um, a printed out printed out pages from the Big Lebowski script, and my wife is just like, "What? Why are you highlighting these words in a script? Like, what's going on?" Just, just, oh, honey, just don't worry about it. I've got a career change coming. I have to tell <laughs> <Yeah>. you, <laughs> I'll I'll make make the money on volume when I'm uh, publishing these these scripts. I don't know. Um. Yeah, so I mean, I try to scan everything almost to like a pathological level. I think probably you, you two are both in that same camp. We get, we get like, it. We just understand. getting rid of paper. Um, sometimes it's not good. Like I just kind of got in trouble for my daughter's teacher because apparently I was supposed to sign her report card and take it back, and instead I scanned it and shredded it. <laughs> Okay, so there's a fix to that. So you can you can take PDF pen and you can take your email signature yeah. that you've got saved in there and drag it over and then email it to him. Be like, here you go, saw it. Yeah, hey, yeah. Gabe, the exact same thing happened in my house this week. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and my wife's comment was, "Okay, I get that you would scan it." But why exactly did you need to shred a fifth, a sixth grade report card? Because that's because what you do. Paper reproduces. It goes said, through the scanner. That's how I roll, honey. Don't and you then understand? it goes in the shredder. Yes. Yeah. I have um, so I have a folder called shred, but I also have a folder called don't shred. Now, where uh, after I scan things, I f- I file them into those folders for appropriate uh, action and things like. You know, it's tax season, so my W-2s go into the do not shred pile. 
Oh, I shred those suckers after I've scanned them. Uh, I'm never going to eat those again. Oh, really? No, yep. I, I, I like to hold on to the originals till the enough time passes that I know they're not going to request them again. But um, let's see. I, I use I use Hazel a lot. I mean, I have tons of Hazel rules running all the time. Um, you got any particular do. clever ones you want to share? Anything you think is unique? And- uh, probably the one I use the most is kind of kind of specific to me, but I think shows the power of Hazel. I have a Hazel rule running that looks at. I have all of my notes in one folder, like all my plain text files are in one single folder called notes and hazel watches that folder for certain things to happen on these files um if i do you know what like uh the multi-markdown header um syntax is where you put like up at the top of the file you put a word a colon and then you can put other text after that Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever seen that so i i have it look for um a word called process followed by a colon and then if I put like at archive, um, it will automatically move the file out of my text folder into um, my text archive folder for me. So it, like that kind of stuff is pretty pretty amazing that you can do that with Hazel. And the, I accomplish that by Hazel will actually look at each file and process it through, a, of course, a Python script, a little Python script. And that Python script will tell it whether or not it has that line in it. Um, and if it does, then it just moves the file. And I have another one that kind of does the same thing. If I do, do process and then at post, it'll upload through SFTP to my web server and it becomes a blog post. So I, you know, I don't have to use any separate tools. Cool. Yeah. I, I almost weekly get an email from a listener who says, you know, you guys keep talking about a Hazel. I finally tried it and now I get it. It's amazing. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> I think a way to describe it for people is, Let's say that you're interested in automation, but you don't have the time to learn Python or AppleScript or any of these other things, but you do want to make things happen on your computer without your interaction. Hazel removes all of the programming element from it. It's just an application where you connect Lego, Katie, and yeah. you uh, and you put it together and things happen. And people who have no experience with this stuff, I mean, I got an email from someone who was 72 years old who just downloaded hazel and he's he's cranking on it i mean he's coming up with ideas i never thought of so it's it's just really accessible to anybody yeah and that's another one where the developer really you can tell he really cares about the product because it's new features all the time like as soon as mavericks tags were available you know hazel started supporting them where you could tag a file and that can trigger hazel to do something um it's and i mentioned the python script but that's that's pretty pretty nerdy. You can do almost everything that I do without writing a single line of code. Let's be honest. You, you put a amazing. Python script in there because you can, not yeah, because you needed much. to. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you That's know, the, right. The developer is Paul Kim, and super nice guy. I've never met him in person, but I hope one day, maybe we'll have him on the show or something. But I, I've just seen so many nice things he's done for our listeners when they write him an email and he writes back and helps them out and, and then they'll like forward it to me saying this guy's amazing. And uh, I absolutely agree. Another thing he did was just in the last year, he added the ability to search your document, find a date and add it to the name. Yeah. Which is pretty neat. 
which is huge. And that was no small task for him to add that to the application. It's not like he, you know, spent a morning with a cup of coffee and knocked that out. I'm sure that was a lot of work. Yeah. And I, I use like things like Katie, your trick of looking for an account number in documents to kind of automate, or maybe this is both everybody's trick. I don't know. Um, to automatically identify like, oh, this is a gas bill because that account number is so long and it's guaranteed to be pr- – it's it, yeah. not guaranteed. It's pretty likely it's unique in my file system. Um, so it just kind of automatically knows this is a gas bill. This is an electric bill. This is you know, for my bank statement. It, and that is so nice not having to do that manually. Yeah, yeah, the other thing that I'll do, and, and you were talking earlier about everything on your computer needs to be OCR'd, or maybe that was David, is I've got a Hazel rule that will look at it and will see that, you know, if this document wasn't created by one of a couple of applications that I know automatically OCR things, like if it wasn't created by ScanSnap or if it wasn't a PDF Pen document, that it will open up PDF Pen Pro, run OCR, Close PDF Pen Pro. I mean, so it's like any any new PDF that gets downloaded to my downloads folder, if it doesn't know that it's already OCR'd, PDF Pen's going to open up OCR in the background, close, and then then I know it's taken care of. Yeah, that's a good so, idea. Yeah. Have you written that up yet, Katie? Um, well, I stole it from you, but I've made it better. I'll, yeah, I modified okay. it a little bit. I'll, I'll write it up. I'll write it up. Yeah, I, I wrote that Apple script like four years ago and it still works. I can't get over that. Yeah, it still works. I added a few lines to it because I, yours, I think you wrote up as a folder action and I added a yeah. few lines to it so that it would automatically quit the application when it was done and some other things. Well, we're recording this early. It would be really nice if that was in the show notes. Okay. I will, I will work on that. <laughs> let, let me that throw, let me pressure? throw one new one out there that kind of like as a long time, Hazel user, user still surprised me that Hazel could do it. And like you, David, I was moving my files to a folder structure out of Aperture. Yeah. You know, I wanted them all structured by year and month kind of, you know, structured yeah. to all these folders. And I was like thinking about this, oh, I'm going to write a script and I'm going to have to look through all these, you know, exported folders from Aperture, which aren't organized that way. And then it kind of hit me like, oh, Hazel. And Hazel, I basically pointed it at this one top level folder and it ran through got every image and then based on the date that the image was taken yep. was able to move them to my my network storage device and automatically file them into the appropriate year and month folder with no interaction I just set it up and let it run and it moved tens of thousands of images and successfully filed them into a completely new folder structure. That's awesome. If you're not use if you're using Hazel and you're not using the sort into subfolder function, which is just kind of amazing. It'll look at a file and on a number of criteria, automatically create the subfolder and put it there for you. You need to check that out. Like I even do that with my paperless filing system. Like I have I'll have a folder called disability statements, but I don't create the subfolders under that. Hazel does all that stuff for me. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Well, Gabe, I want to talk about um, some of the cool stuff that you have at home. And before we do, I want to take a quick break because <laughs> I'm a little envious and I think I might be buying some stuff after the show. Um, but I want to take a quick break and I want to talk about our last sponsor for this episode. And that is our fine friends over at Squarespace. 
Um, and as we mentioned before, and as I mentioned before, this is Squarespace's 10th anniversary, so congratulations to them. And they are continuing to roll out cool things over at Squarespace. I mean, they are the place that you go if you just want an easy way to design a website. If you don't want to be a coder, if you don't want to be a designer, if you don't want to have to worry about installing updates and installing patches and worrying about is my SQL out of, up to date or do I need to have this particular plugin for my site to run, um, it just works. And you can go ahead and if you want, um, you can create blog posts, you can create photo galleries, you can create images um, and drag and drop them into your Squarespace site. Uh, you can go ahead and um, uh, link to videos out on various Squarespace sites. I mean, anything you want to do, Squarebase, Squarespace has a mechanism through their layout engine that you can design custom websites with pretty much anything you want in them. So uh, it's really easy to make a professional looking website with all of the social media that you want, with all the photos, with all the text, whatever you want to do, whether you're a designer, whether you're a blogger, whether you want to sell things, they've now got an entire Squarespace commerce that you can start from there. You can do just about anything with Squarespace. But, you know, the previously things you couldn't do is you, you probably had to go see somebody or you had to be a designer to create your logo. And, you you know, I, I was pretty bad about that and I just kind of threw up a, a font on, on my site and I, I'm happy with it and it's fine. But Squarespace found out that this was a problem and people had these great blogs and it was so easy to design them, but maybe they were lacking with having a logo. So Squarespace introduced recently Squarespace Logo. And it is a easy logo builder that you can use if you're a Squarespace customer on your Squarespace sites and beyond. So you go into Squarespace logo, you type the name of your company, the name of your site, your tagline, whatever you want. You can search through a vast image library of, of, of basic uh, icons that you want to use. You can change fonts, you can change colors, and it's really hard to make a logo on this site um, that doesn't look professional. I mean, you can make some tacky ones, don't get me wrong. I've seen some people have made with underpants, but <laughs> but it's hard to make a logo that doesn't uh, look good on this website. And then you can use it on your various sites. So Squarespace is really trying to become the all-in-one solution uh, where you can go and create something wonderful. So if you've got a site or if you want to make a site this year, uh, give Squarespace a try. You can try them for two weeks free. There's no commitment involved. Just go over to squarespace.com and create a free trial account. And if you decide that you are ready to take the plunge and start using Squarespace, they've got plans that start as low as 8 bucks a month. And we can do even better than that. If you use the coupon code MPU2, you'll save any, even more. So check them out over at squarespace.com. And thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of Mac Power users. All right, so now it's time to talk about Gabe's toys. <laughs> okay, I, I have I have which category? I have lots of toys. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't we all? Right? Um, yeah. So, so you have uh, replaced your Apple TV with a Roku, and that that's of interest to me. There's a lot of nerds doing that these days. Yeah. Yeah, it's um. What, what is it that pushed you over the edge? Story. Uh, the can't authorize error that is so common on Apple TV. Like when you have a five-year-old waiting to watch um, a video, it's really frustrating to get that can't authorize or the video gets stuck and have to basically reboot the Apple TV to get it to play. I just got tired of it. And at the at the price point, there, you know, Apple TV is ninety nine bucks, Roku is ninety nine bucks. It's like, all right, I'll buy buy a Roku and try it. And 
it's actually really good. Like it, it's a great competitor to the Apple TV. It doesn't have AirPlay support, but everything else that I want to do, like Netflix, it works. Um, yeah, I just I just picked up a Roku because I'm giving this talk at MacWorld next month, and I'm I'm mm-hmm. talking about all the various devices, and I'd never used a Roku before, so I'm finding that interesting. It, it changes like I. It, it caused me to have to pull my media out of iTunes is the one, you know, caveat I'd throw out there because it doesn't support iTunes very well. Yeah. Um, there's some tricks that you can do to get the Roku to work with your iTunes library, but I just didn't like that experience. So I went with a Plex server and, uh, you know, Plex is a free, you know, um, well-developed app that's supported and, you know, it, keeps increasing in functionality. I'm like, okay, I'll give this thing a try because certainly iTunes is a beast at this point. And that combination is great. It It's a great video host for the Roku, but Roku has a nice feature where you can go in and there's like a global search where you can say, like, I just want to watch this movie. Just tell me where I can watch it. And it'll search your Plex server. It'll search Netflix. It'll search um, Hulu and just tell you, like, it's available in all these different places. Like, I have it hooked up to my Amazon Prime account, and it'll tell me, like, oh, you can you can now stream this from Amazon right now. That's that's cool. Like, I don't yeah. like I don't know why the Apple TV doesn't have something like that where I can just say, like, don't make me browse to where this video is. Just show me. Um, it, it it's nice. It's it's a well considered device too. Like the the latest model of Roku, the remote is a real remote. It's not like the little hard to use um Apple TV remote and it has a headphone jack on the side. And at first I was like, why would you want a headphone jack? Well, for like those of us with kids or families that don't want to stay up and watch a movie, you can plug headphones into it and watch the movie on your real home entertainment system, but hear the audio through the headphones. Yeah. That's pretty neat. No, I, I think there's a lot to say about it. Um, uh, it I haven't tried it yet. I'm, I guess I'm still kind of the Apple holdout here. But, you know, in the last few years, as my kids got older, we don't buy as many movies as we used to. And frankly, we don't watch quite as many either, I guess. But mm-hmm. So I gave up my Netflix home delivery service. We just have the Netflix streaming, which seems to work good enough. Yep. And, and when there's a movie we want to watch, we'll just rent it through iTunes. Or if it's something really imp- – like I recently bought the Indiana Jones series, and I, I bought it through Apple. And it's just so nice having it just be everywhere because I'm I'm fully invested. I have Macs and iPads and iPhones, and yeah. so it just makes sense. Like on the Apple TV, I haven't had this repeated authorization error that I've heard other people talk about. Maybe I'm just blessed or whatever, but I haven't had that problem. So I just haven't been that motivated to try anything else. But it seems like that some people are, and they're pretty happy. Like that search function you just explained, that's pretty cool. And it doesn't exist, but yeah, we, we use AirPlay all the time in our house. I mean, and that's all- what I miss. I do miss AirPlay. I, I think that that's that's a pretty um, great feature for an Apple TV. And you know, for the number of movies I buy, you know, let's say I pay twenty dollars for. I bought the Star Trek movie. 
just to, you know, make Katie happy. I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm sure I could have gone to like Costco and got it for 12 bucks, but I paid 20 and got it through iTunes, but it's everywhere. If we want to watch it, I can just open my iPad and it'll stream for me or download or or I can watch it. I I just haven't been that motivated to switch, but I do think that Apple could do a better job with that Apple TV product. I'm right there with you about the purchasing. I used to sing that gospel to everybody I knew about, like, it is just so convenient if I want to buy a movie, I will pay a couple extra bucks to buy it through the Apple TV because it's right there. I get it now, and I can watch it, and you can start watching it almost instantly. Um, yeah, I don't have to store that, the disc. I don't yeah, and that, that's... I, I bought a lot of movies that way because, as you know, with a young kid, you don't watch a lot of different movies, but you watch a lot of the same movies over and over. So in those cases, yeah. buying it makes more sense than renting it. Yeah, and, and that was great, but the video is still DRM'd. And if you do get the authorization error, there is absolutely no way for you to watch that video. Yeah, which would be absolutely maddening. Yeah, and th- that was that was the you know, the thing that kind of broke it for me. And I was a holdout against Roku. I was like, why would I want to switch this? You know, works on all my devices. Plex is a nice option because Plex has like this Plex one that you can sign up for. I think for 50 bucks, you get like a lifetime thing. And that makes your content available to sync to all your devices. And, yeah. and, and now, that's pretty nice. And it works well. Explain that to me a little bit. Cause I've got Plex. I installed Plex on my, my Drobo 5N. And mm-hmm. so that's where all my, my media sits. And I've got the Plex app for my phone and I've got the Plex app for my iPad, but I, I wasn't entirely sure. I know that for a lifetime for, and it's 75 bucks now you can get okay. lifetime or 30 bucks a year or four bucks a month. But so right, right now I can, especially it's, it's streaming fast when I'm in my house, I can pull anything off and, and watch it either on my iOS device or using AirPlay stream it to my Apple TV. And so that works. And then if I'm on pretty good Wi-Fi, when I'm, you know, at a hotel or not in my house, I can stream there. What does the Plex Pass get me that I don't get with the free app? What, what, how does the sync work? That's different. The from Plex that? Pass gives you the ability to say, for example, use my Google Drive account to keep this content available on the cloud, right? So that I can use Plex for my phone and play it from my Google Drive account. So that's that's kind of like what that Plex Pass does for you. Um, I think I don't think you need a Plex Pass to sync the content to your iOS de- device. In that case, you look at your library and you tap the video, and you can tell it like download this video to my device, and it will actually transcode it on the way down, so that you know you don't have to download a if it's a say a really like high def 1080p video you don't have to download 15 gigs of video it'll transcode it because there's no sense having the 1080p um on your on your iPad or iPhone right. um but the Plex Pass gives you that ability to use <clears throat> all kinds of different online services to to sync your videos and of course it's dependent upon how much space you have available on those services but that's kind of what they're doing yeah, and I I think you probably do need the Plex Pass to to download it. I don't think it will let you download mm. it without it. Yeah, it's oh, one of those things like once you once you once you start using it, you forget what like that it's a premium service or not. So yeah. I, I've used it multiple times, and it does does work well. It's intriguing. I I think part of the problem is I just don't I don't travel with that much media. I, I've never been on the road saying, "Man, I really wish I could watch that movie that's home on my server." I just don't. Yeah. 
when I go on trips, I'm usually pretty swamped. And even, you know, kind of funny, I every time I go on trips for years, ever since I got my first iPhone, I always put a movie on my phone or my iPad or whatever my latest i thing is. I don't think I've ever watched one because it's just there's always so much going on. Yeah, but David, imagine when your kid kid was little. Yeah, I know. How great that would be on road trips. Like, that's what we used it for. We went on a long road trip. Just the iPad, it it would have saved me. I probably would not have gray hair at this point if we had one of these when my kids were little. (laughs) Yeah, it is is nice to be able to, like, give them their own Dora collection. Um, Yeah. And the headphone part with Dora would be awesome. uh, Yes, yes. It's mandatory. The bane of my existence was Zach and Cody with my second daughter. She got into a stage where she watched that. Oh boy, I better just stop. I just better stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the uh, Gabe, we, we've uh, I think we've covered a lot. Um, yeah, I'd li- I'd like to talk to you sometime about Sonos because I I hear you're a recent convert, but uh, I'm going to talk to you about discussion. Sonos. Maybe, maybe you and I will have a Sonos conversation. Right, let's let's do it. Let's do it in five minutes. Let's do a five minute Sonos talk. Oh, well, right. you you did an entire show, so we should send people to that. You did an entire show on Sonos on technical difficulties, but yeah. But Gabe, I I need a, a third party opinion, and and maybe you're not a very good one because David <laughs> is David has drunk the Sonos Kool Aid, and so what I've got is I've just got a couple of speakers in my house connected to I've I've got a Bluetooth speaker in my bathroom. I've got uh, uh, speakers in my office that are connected to a. Uh, uh, what do they call the airport express? I've got speakers in my kitchen that are connected to airport express. My sound bar in my living room's got Bluetooth in it. So I've got speakers in all my house, in all the rooms of my house that are somehow connected to something that my iOS device can stream to. So I don't think you should switch. I think you're fine. And, and well, hang on. And 90 plus percent of the time, maybe 85, 85% of the time I listen to podcasts and I listen to them through downcast or something like that. And that, that makes me kind of sad. What? 90%? <laughs> Maybe 80, 85. I listen to a lot you, of podcasts. I got to I got to hook you up with some John Coltrane, Katie. Okay. So, what the the frustration that I have with AirPlay there are two frustrations. One is that, yeah, it would be really nice if I could synchronize this music and play it in multiple rooms so that I don't have to keep changing speakers when I go from room to room. And the second frustration I have with AirPlay is randomly it will stop. I'll be playing the mute. I'll be playing a podcast. I'll be listening to something, and then all of a sudden, everybody stops talking, and I'll have to go back to my phone and say, "Huh, that was weird. Why did it yep. stop?" And I'll have to start it back up again. Mm-hmm. So, how That's, can spending uh, how can spending thousands and thousands of dollars on Sonos equipment solve this problem for me? So, the show I did with Eric was was fun because Eric is you know Sonos is almost like a cult. People people really who are into Sonos really love their Sonos. Like and they go hog wild and and Sonos is also one of those things where you usually don't just buy one device and it's you usually get into it really deep and buy a lot of devices. Um, I was new to it and I'm still somewhat skeptical um, because I also listen to a lot of podcasts and that's hard to do with the Sonos. The yeah, Sonos that's, is that's really, really not ideal. Yeah. Um, so I use AirPlay with the Sonos. I have um, one Sonos plugged into an Airport Express, and all of the different Sonos speakers create like a, a Wi-Fi mesh. So they all share information between each other. So you can set it up as a group, and you can say like, 
whatever this Sonos is broadcasting, have all the other speakers broadcast the same thing at the same time. And in that in that way, you can actually use your Downcast app to play your audio. Because I also listen to Audible books, and I like the Audible app for that. And um, that that means I need to use AirPlay for that as well. So that Audible does have an app on Sonos, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, Yeah. they do. Um, But I've just you know I've used the the iOS app so much, and I use it in my car, so the play position is important. um, That it be kind of in sync everywhere. But if you like to listen to a lot of music, I think Sonos is fantastic because in that case, you kind of program up your Sonos and then access it through the Sonos app. And your, the app doesn't need to keep running. You just choose what you want the Sonos to do, and it, it will be autonomous after that. And just keep keep playing Pandora, for example, or keep playing from your music collection. Um, so it has some, some pros and cons to it. Um, I'm coming around, but it's still a really expensive system to get into. Yeah, I, I would say that you don't need to buy all of the pieces. I started slow, but I have been adding to it. Um, and when I think about how I haven't been using it that long, uh, and first, I do agree with the cult thing, because, man, when I started talking about in the show that I was thinking <laughs> about it, I probably got like 400 emails about yeah. Sonos from people, how much they love it. And very few from people who said they bought it and they didn't like it. Uh, but it, it is expensive. But I listen to a lot of music. And just like Gabe was saying, it, it's just so great. I mean, um, we're recording this on Saturday morning. Friday was a difficult day for me. I came home and it just made me so happy to listen to some of my best music. The kids and my wife are out. So I was raising the roof with uh, my favorite music. And it, it, it's very enjoyable for me. Uh, listening to stuff directly from your iPhone, like from a, a podcast app or Audible, is possible, but you have to have an Airport Express. So that's another yeah. hundred bucks if you don't already have it. Yeah, um, in, in to, my to case, I have the it. System. Yeah, but it it and, sounds like it's not going to solve the problem of AirPlay keeps dropping out for me. Yeah, if it's dropping no, out, no, it has the same weakness gonna, with AirPlay. Yeah. I have that exact same thing happen with AirPlay. It's a, it's a fundamental problem with AirPlay. Um, I did have also a problem with the Sonos speakers losing connections with each other. Uh, Eric convinced me to get the $50 Sonos Bridge, and that, that resolved that issue. And the Sonos Bridge is almost like a repeating Wi-Fi station, specifically for the Sonos speakers. And once I did that, the speakers stopped losing their connections with each yeah. other. See, I thought, I, bought, the, I thought the bridge was required. I guess it's not required no. if, you're, if your first speaker can be connected directly into your network. Well, they That's all right. can. I think everyone has an or, internet port. Or at le- if, if at least one speaker can be directly connected into your network, the bridge is not required. Is that true? No. So um, they can all be directly connected in, into your Ethernet. Uh, only certain speakers have like a, an eighth, in, um, eighth inch a headphone jack on them so you could, that you could plug it into, you know, like a, um, airport, express. airport express. Right. Yeah. The, the problem I was having is the speakers communicate through Wi-Fi if they're not directly connected through ethernet. Um, actually I think they communicate through Wi-Fi all the time, even if they are directly connected. And I have so much Wi-Fi in my house that it was causing interference with the speakers. And so I put a bridge halfway between the speaker upstairs and the speaker downstairs and that acts as a repeater so that the speaker oh, okay. downstairs gotcha. talks to the bridge and then the bridge talks to the one upstairs. Well, when I bought my first one, they had a deal where they gave you the bridge if you yeah, bought the speaker. That does so, happen regularly. And um, so I've always had a bridge. I've never had a problem. Um, I do listen to podcasts on it. 
um, I think if all I listened to was podcasts, I'm not sure that it would make sense to go with Sonos. I mean, also the audio fidelity for listening to podcasts does not need to be the same as listening to music. Sure. Yeah. They're very good speakers. I mean, you don't really need that good of speakers to listen to someone like me yak around. And you can do really cool things with them too. Like I know, like this is why people are so passionate about it. You could have two Sonos speakers pair with each other to become a stereo pair across your house. Um, yeah, or or you could set up like a surround sound system. Yeah, they have it, the sound bar and then they have the subwoofer, but you could actually put two on each side and tell it how to do it. it I mean, just the idea. It, it is fiddly that I can adjust my subwoofer settings from my iPad. It's fun, you know. Sometimes we'll watch a movie, and maybe I'll turn up the subwoofer a lot, so things start really exploding. The house shakes, you know. So I don't know. It's it's very well thought out, and it's very Mm -hmm. expensive. And I guess that's that's kind of the five minutes on it. Good summary. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, listen. I think we should probably wrap it up. But Gabe, thanks so much for coming. I'm so glad we did this, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you again about Devin. We're we're definitely going to do the show on that. So if you're out there and you're Devin person let us know because uh, i think it, that deserves a full show and uh, gabe where can we find you oh uh macdrifter.com or macdrifter on twitter or uh technical difficulties us is the um is the you new you don't sound um, sure of podcast. yourself on that yeah i think that's <laughs> no it's, 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 we've have we have so many yeah no uh it's tech technical difficulties us and uh that's where you can hear us talk about all kinds of Crazy stuff like this. I think uh, the one that went up today was about um, GPS apps. Excellent. Nice. Nice. And you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode at our website at MacPowerUsers.com, where you can also find a link where you can view all of our previous episodes or search our Sonos if you want to see how many other times we've talked about Sonos. It's been quite a few. Uh, Or you can also find us at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, you can send us an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and you can find us on Twitter. Uh, we're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Mac Sparky. And Gabe, you're at MacDrifter, right? Yep, MacDrifter.com. Okay. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, absolutely. It's been fun. It's great. Thanks to our sponsors, and we'll all see you next week. Next week.